Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops Podcast, we are back. Been a little hectic with, uh, I must admit, my schedule recently. BJ, of course, always reliable, always available. Hands ready, left side, ready for the rock. My man, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm just sitting here. I'm standing in the corner. I'm a 45% shooter from three, so... I'm just trying to be consistent. Just trying to be consistent. You know, pace and space here. Pace and space. As Raph says, <laughs> get get the puppies ready. Get the puppies ready. Um, great week through the league as always. Um, I'm lucky enough to be doing a bunch of basketball content stuff this week, but glad we're back on. And um, we've got a special guest today. So as BJ and I have been doing recently, with special assistance, of course, from the one and only Mike Lieber, we are, uh, BJ, you're going to like this, we're weaving in some new guests to the show. We're really creating Weaving some, in, weaving. Is it a three-man weave or two-man? Three-man, well, no, two-man two is the pick-and-pop game where I get you that jumper all day, <laughs> but we're, we're weaving in some guys here to uh, spread the floor, and uh, very, very excited today to welcome Mark Medina. NBA writer for USA Today, joining the show. We're going to talk about some some national topics across the landscape. Mark, how are you today? Thanks for uh, joining BJ and I. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to be corny or sappy or anything. I'm honored to be on with you guys, Eric and BJ. I've always been uh, a fan from afar, and I've always enjoyed the time that uh, BJ and I have been able to chat over these last few years about the NBA. So it's a real That's- treat. Oh, well, well, great to have you. Uh, if you had to talk to BJ three or four times a week, that that may change. <laughs> but we're uh, we're we're excited to have you on, and and we're we're loving what we're doing here at Pure Hoop. So it's it's great to have you. So, um, you know, I want to start with a team that has had a spotlight on it for you know the last several years due to both star power style of play and of course this offseason a, a blockbuster move and that's uh the Houston Rockets. So, you know, they're only going to be judged by what they do this postseason. And uh we know what they can do offensively, but uh this middle of the pack defense is this uh is this defense going to be good enough for the Houston Rockets for for where they want to go as we're uh we're in december and they're smack in the middle 15th in defensive rating mark what what are you making of the rockets in the d right now yeah well i mean i think when you're looking at defensively and offensively and stylistically everything i think it's to some extent unfair to judge them of you know are they capable of winning an nba championship because let's just call a spade a spade the the Lakers and the Clippers are above and beyond, you know, at another level than they are. So it's really going to take one of those two teams not to have the cleanest bill of health for then Houston to maybe be able to sneak in. And, you know, maybe it results in the Lakers and the Clippers facing off in the second round as opposed to the conference finals, as a lot of people are, you know, anticipating. But that being said, you know, they – they surprised me last year because I thought that with them losing Trevor Reese and Luke Bamute that they were going to take a lot of steps back defensively, and they didn't really significantly. I mean, P.J. Tucker was playing really well on Clint Capella. Um, and I don't want to give Mike D'Antoni an out because this you know, has always been part of the criticism that he doesn't coach good defensive teams and all that. But I think given the personnel that they have and 
on both sides of the ball, if they're really going to make any noise, it's going to have to come down to really their offense of how well are they melding the offensive identities with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and can they take advantage of the fact that those two identities are completely different with Harden playing in isolation and dribble out the clock and end with either a step back three or a floater or a trip to the foul line versus Russell Westbrook really getting up and down the floor at a fast pace. Um, That's for better and for worse really going to define how far or little they wind up getting. You know, Mark, um, you know, you make some very valid points, but I just want to follow up with that. Yeah. If the Rockets, I think it's fair to say we, I, I don't think, I think all of us here don't feel the Rockets are the front runner to win a championship this year. But let's look into our crystal ball and say if they don't win it, and if that comes true or that comes to light here, what do you think the Rockets organization is going to do next with James Harden and Russell Westbrook? Because those are the two cornerstones now of the franchise. What do you think they do next to move forward in trying to pursue that championship dream? Well, BJ, it's an interesting question. I mean, outside of, I think James Harden is, is always going to be their cornerstone, but because they have an ownership uh, owner in Tillman Fertitta, who's been very clear, like he's not afraid to say he's not on the same page with Daryl Morey or Mike D'Antoni. Like I wouldn't rule anything past him thinking, Hey, we need to blow this thing up beyond, Hey, we'll still keep Harden. But I think the first domino that's going to fall is that Mike D'Antoni won't be there. Um, and I don't even, I'm not even saying that just because they didn't extend him and he has lame duck status. I think it'll also be partly his own choice that as much as he's liked coaching Harden and uh, he hasn't had issues as far as I know with the players, I don't think the way the negotiations played out this last summer and the fact that they didn't allow him to retain his assistance really sat well with him. And so I think it's going to be a combination of the Rockets feel that they're better off moving without him and Mike thinking, hey, you know what? I'm almost a free agent as well. I'll probably have some decent options. And because of that likelihood, there's probably going to be a need for them to also assemble their roster to match whatever coach they wind up having. And so I don't want to think that that automatically means that Westbrook's gone or whoever else is gone. But if you're going to get rid of it, if you're going to part ways and not resign Mike D'Antoni, you're going to have to find new different players that can fit the new philosophy of whatever head coach that winds up being. Very interesting thinking about what the Houston Rockets would look like playing a different style of basketball with James Harden, 30 years old, and then obviously making a decision on Westbrook, who is now 31. But as we know about both of these guys, uh, a lot of miles on the tires. So it's going to be very intriguing. And as you were saying before about what is the measurement of success for this team this year? Is it conference finals? Is it getting out of the West? Obviously, great competition out there with both LA teams. So um, for sure going to be interesting to see uh, if the Rockets don't play in the NBA Finals, what the what the future holds for them. So speaking of another team with high expectations, star power, big headlines. You recently wrote a piece on the Los Angeles Lakers uh, centered around LeBron James winning the MVP, turning 35 in a couple of weeks, leading the NBA in assists for the first time in his career. Um, Lakers off to an incredible start. Some people think it's the talent. Some people think it's the... Uh, level of the schedule. Um, did you foresee things going this well, this early for the Lakers? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I know that BJ is of the mind of a lot of players that look like talent's the predominant, predominantly most important thing. So, uh, you know, with that being said, like even if things were not great from a chemistry standpoint, they still were going to be good because LeBron James and Anthony Davis are that much of a game changer. But um, I'm aware, well aware that, you know, it was a home heavy schedule and 
you know, we're talking still the quarter to the beginning of the season. So there is a long season to be played. But that being said, I was anticipating a little more hiccups where I thought that there might be maybe a 10-game sample size of LeBron and AD trying to figure out what's the right dynamic. And even if they're still producing winning games, you could see that, hey, there's still an awkwardness. And I didn't see that really at all with exception of the season opener against the Clippers. And then I think for the role players, even when you're accounting for some of the injuries with Kyle Kuzma and Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo, I think for the most part, all those role guys have showed the best version of themselves. And none of them have complained about, you know, inconsistent playing time or minutes or what the role is. And then I think the last thing is Frank Vogel has gotten a buy-in right away. And that might help that you have LeBron and AD. Like, they were always going to give him wins. But to some extent, he entered this season with having some ground to catch up on because of how the Lakers handled the coaching search where – you know, the first camp they interviewed was Ty Lue, who obviously has history with LeBron James, but also it didn't work out because they were balking at the size of his contract, and, you know, the Lakers were suggesting to have some veteran coaches like Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins on board, and Ty was not really wanting to sign up for that because it kind of goes against the grain of coaching one-on-one where, you know, most front offices give – the coach autonomy to fill the staff how they see fit. So with that, you know, even though Frank has had a lot of success with the Indiana Pacers and he's been a proven head coach, I think that there was some element of having to know how to win over these guys. And he's already done that. Um, That's not to say that it won't change, but he's really gotten the guys to buy in defensively. And you can tell the fa- by the fact that they have been able to, you know, play with consistent effort and guys are engaged and, you know, guys who are coming off the bench aren't complaining about roles publicly, that that shows that there's a, a good respect for the head coaching position. And I think going into the season, I thought that the Lakers would be winning more on AD and LeBron itself while sorting all those different parts out and showing, you know, some good signs, some bad signs, and then kind of going through all that learning curves. And I, frankly, haven't really seen anything. And even when they've lost against the Clippers and the Raptors and the Mavs, I really just chalked it up to, hey, those are good teams and it's a regular season. Um, So, yeah, I I would admit that they've even exceeded my expectations a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Mark, one of the the teams, especially in the West Coast, sticking with that theme that I would like to get your take on is the Utah Jazz. You know, they got off to an early start around eight and three at the beginning of the season. And recently they've had their struggles. They're, They're six and eight over their last 14 games. What do you think is missing from this team? I know it's not time to panic, but what do you think is missing from a team? Because we've all had them in the top echelon of the West Western Conference this year. What do you think has been something that's missing from the team play, you know, in their recent skid of as of late? Well, I'm I look at them and Denver kind of for what they are, right? Like they're second tier teams, but I think that what you take away from Utah and Denver to some extent is that their top guys clearly have a lot of work to do before they're considered stars, right? Like Nikola Jokic and Donovan Mitchell, where they're they're all they're still solid players, but the guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, like they're able to do those things every single night. Like that's what they do. Um, you know, whether any time that they have a really good performance. Um, of course, they're going to get attention because of who they are. But I think from an expectation standpoint, it's like, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. And so I think that's what the difference is. I still think at the end of the day, one of the things that should help the, the Jazz, you know, be one of the kind of the second tier contenders is that they have continuity and they still have solid role players and good second tier players. But they, they don't have a superstar, and I think it's been exposing them early. 
Yeah, I, I was at the game there on Monday and uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it was just interesting because I think they are anticipating Donovan Mitchell to be that star player. But you're saying that you don't think he's really at that level yet or he's on the come? What, what's your take on him? Yeah, I think he's almost in the in-between stage where I think that he will ultimately be that guy, but he hasn't quite gotten to the level where he's consistent. And, BJ, you probably, obviously being a former player, know kind of the rite of passage that some of these guys come through where they have a promising rookie season, and then all of a sudden they get you know more attention and they're in the scouting report more often, and then all of a sudden they start struggling with that. but. I was surprised that, um, you know, coming in this season, I thought that there wouldn't be as much of a hiccup because he played with with USA Basketball this summer. And I think the thought internally from Utah is that that was going to make him feel like, hey, he's got this wealth of knowledge. He's been around a lot of great guys. He learned under pop a little bit. And that would kind of help him overcome some of the learning curves, almost kind of the same capacity that Luka Doncic has been able to, you know, from Dallas has been able to build off of last year where now that he has attention, it really doesn't matter. Like he's that good of a player. So I I don't want to write off Donovan yet, but I I still think that he has work to do to be able to navigate those things consistently. Yeah. I think Donovan is still getting used to some of these changes around him, obviously with Conley, with Bogdanovich, the narrative had been getting going to the season. Okay, Donovan is going to have more room. He has a, a veteran playmaker around him in Conley, uh, another serious perimeter scoring threat in Bogdanovich. And I just think this team hasn't found that consistency yet. And, and, and Mark, in the spirit of that, you know, we thought we had the top six or seven in the West figured out to start the year. Then Steph Curry breaks his hand. Draymond goes in and out of the lineup. We see what the Warriors have become. Basically, this is going to be a, a development year for them. The the rise of Dallas there, both L.A. teams, Denver, Houston, who we've talked about, Utah, that gives us six. Who do you think right now, with where we're at in the season, closing the second week of December, who's got the best shot? to position themselves for the last two spots in the Western Conference as we move forward? I think Sacramento. Um, I just saw them in Houston. You know, they got that uh, you know, heck of a winner win. against them heck from of a 33 win. feet. Heck of a win. And I think the upside is only going to get better. And here's why. They went through that rough patch to open the season 0-5. But Vladi Divac and the front office show that they still support Luke Walton there. Um, the, the young guys are getting better there. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley aren't even back yet. And there might be some time still for them to return. But I think by the time they return, now it's just them playing with house money. Like, going into the year, I was kind of mixed on could they make the playoffs because initially – I thought, you know what, you put Portland in there and you put New Orleans there, but all of a sudden that's changed. With New Orleans, you know, it's with Zion Williamson being out and the, the rest of the young guys just taking too many licks. And then with Portland, you know, the, 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 all those front court injuries have really caught up to them. And to open the season, it's really made them feel like they're playing catch-up. And, and I like the mellow signing for what it is, and I think it, he's done well, but I still think it's way too much ground to try to cover, even with Damian and CJ. You know, maybe they still make the playoffs as an eighth seed, but I think Sacramento's trajectory seems to be moving a lot more forward, where New Orleans, it's clear that this is going to take time, and Portland, I could see it being one of these two steps forward, one steps back narratives throughout the year. I'm just sitting here thinking, Mark, about how mellow and Portland can just continue to scratch and claw. Obviously, the timing of him joining the team along with uh, what was on the schedule has worked out for them. Hoping they get Nurkic back, hoping Zach Collins can return. 
you know, knowing that, you know, Whiteside statistically has been pretty good. Um, it, it will be interesting to see how they mesh all that together if they can get healthy and be full strength because Carmelo with those big other physical um, contributions up front from a Collins, from a Nurkic, if he comes back, um, they could be that team in the West if they're a seven or eight that nobody wants to face in the first round. Yeah, and I'm with you. I mean, I guess you never rule out anything when you have Damian Lillard and TJ McCollum on your team, but the health thing is, is a real sticking point for me. And, you know, from what I've been told and understand is that Nurkic, he's not going to be expected until sometime after the All-Star break. And Collins, it might not even be until, like, the playoffs are around, but that's in theory, like, if they're – even in contention at that point. I just feel like that's just way too much time. You know, we're talking, what, mid-December right now? And yep. if it's not until at least two, another two months before Nurkic comes back, that's a lot of ground to cover, even if you have Dame and CJ and Melo there. And I think because of those guys, it'll still be competitive. They'll still have it, you know, every game where they could always give a team a fighter's chance to win. But to do that consistently, I think, just requires way too much out of them. Mark, in the first 25 games of the season, what performance has stood out to you as the best performance in the early part of the season so far? Well, I think from a league standpoint, you certainly have to put James Harden's 60-point performance there and the fact that he's been able to to navigate defenses so well, you know, whether it's getting trapped at half court or, you know, being double teamed on the perimeter or anything else. But from what I, the performance that I've actually seen in person, the most impressive I saw was Anthony Davis's 40 point night and 20 rebound night against Memphis. And I know that Memphis is in a rebuilding stage, but I think it was more of the context of that game that he was on the heels of, you know, feeling some pain in his shoulder. And this offered a window into kind of his mindset of how he deals with pain, what his threshold is. And, you know, the Lakers trust in that he can still perform. And, that, you know, I think big picture, that is a tight rope that the Lakers are navigating of to what extent do you continue to let him play versus reeling him in and thinking big picture. But, you know, from what I've been told, the medical staff has always been monitoring and determining, okay, if he comes out and plays, is this going to get structurally worse? Are we compromising his long-term health? And if the answer is no, then they say, hey, he's fine enough to play as long as he feels comfortable. And so with that, I don't think that there's anything that they're risking, but I still think it's something that Anthony should be lauded for, that you know he's having to wear a kinesio tape on his shoulder. He's having to wear a sleeve. It's something that he's managing day-to-day. And it's not inhibiting his mindset at all of still being aggressive, looking for a shot, and also not forcing things when he's double teaming, being, being double teamed to, to still make the right pass. And you know what? It's sometimes easy to do that when the option is passed to LeBron James. But, you know, I think it's also a credit to him that he's not just being consumed with trying to get his numbers all the time. And in, 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 in a, in a, in a 49-minute effort, this has been the most impressive thing that I've seen thus far this year. In a 49-minute effort, I saw a player who was 11 for 37 from the field, 4 of 20 from 3, and lost in double overtime. That, to me, <laughs> that to me has been the most impressive thing I've seen all season. And they still had a t- they still had a chance to win, and they probably should have won that game. James Harden's performance versus the San Antonio Spurs, to me, is what this modern era of basketball is all about. You're four for twenty from three, and the coach is still calling your number. I, I'm like, right. How do you get that green light? I mean, that's like the ultra light. Uh, and I just, I was watching that game and it was the most fascinating game to me because of the style of play. Now you just, you just haul them up and you just get up more shots than the other team and you still have a chance to win. 
it's for better or for worse, it's this new math, right? Um, it's the new math. It's, I'm, it's the, I'm cringing. Other... I'm cringing at the math, guys. Cringing. I mean, it's, it, it's, it was like the most unbelievable thing I've seen. I've never seen a performance like that, and you still have a chance to win. Yeah, and BJ, the other thing that just boggles my mind with that is, look, I get why the Rockets are upset of, hey, they didn't count the dunk and the 32nd window with the coaches challenge i mean there's a lot of coaches that don't have been confused and don't like how the coaches challenge is operating but there's no grounds for them to protest that game when they had seven and a half minutes in regulation to rectify that missed shot they were up by double digits at the time and they had two overtimes so you know i know mike d'antoni is saying hey i didn't expect for us to win the protest and austin rivers is saying, hey, like, we have ourselves to blame for that. But it takes a lot of, um, I think, stones for the Rockets organization, <laughs> you know, and Daryl Morey to protest that when they had plenty of time to make up for one basket that, you know, should have been counted as a dunk. Yeah. 11 for 37. That's They gave me everything I needed to see. That's, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mark Medina, NBA writer, USA Today. Thanks for joining us. This was great here on the Pure Hoops podcast. Hope you have a, uh, a terrific weekend, and uh, we're looking forward to having you back again on the show soon. Thanks again. BJ, Thanks, Eric, I was honored to be on, and, and always love talking basketball with you guys. Thanks again. Appreciate it. BJ, obviously some great stuff there with Mark. Very heavy in the Western Conference, but we've got to pivot to the East. The Milwaukee Bucks have won 16 straight games, 7-0 and without Chris Middleton, and uh, they beat New Orleans handily without Giannis. Um, we know how important these guys are. Giannis the one, Middleton the two. We had some other roster changes uh, this season for them, mainly losing Brogdon. Who's the unsung hero of this Milwaukee team right now? Without question, when I watch this team, it's Brooke Lopez. He is the stabilizer for them defensively and, believe it or not, offensively. And, and, and you say, well, you know, you look at Giannis, you look at Middleton, you look at the players who are putting up these massive numbers. But the reason they're able to put up those massive numbers is because they are probably the first and only team that I can think of off the, off the top that it's up and that's winning consistently that has what we call a stretch five. And because he, he's able to make threes now in talking about Brooke Lopez, that pulls the other team's rim protector away from the baskets, which allows Giannis and the other players to attack the rim and then when they collapse on Giannis, when he's attacking the rim, Giannis has become a terrific passer, especially to the corners. And as we all know, Eric, um, as you and I joke here on, on, on set, that, you know, that's a high percentage shot. And Brooke Lopez, what he does on the defensive end, he defends and protects the rim without fouling. So if you are shooting, let's say, 60, 65 percent, at the rim, you know, with Brooke Lopez in there, he's going to contest the shot. He's probably has an opportunity because of his size to block the shot or he's going to alter the shot. And with that presence in there that he's been able to do consistently over the last couple of years on both sides of the ball, it gives them a decided advantage, in particular, the way teams are playing now. So he's doing a great job. Uh, he plays without getting plays call for him because he understands his role and he's been able to do something that other teams, frankly, just doesn't have. He He's a stretch five. Who's a big five, right? You know, uh, there's a lot of teams that can have rim protectors like, you know, let's say Rudy Gobert, or when you look at the Lakers, they have JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. You have Andre Drummond. You have some really big men, but the fact that he can stretch you out and pull you away from, from the basket, you're five. That's a decided advantage, and they've been able to take advantage of that. I can't compliment him enough for the reinvention of his game. I mean, we've talked about it, but we were at the point, at least I was, where 
Brook Lopez was a seven foot guy who couldn't get up and down the floor and was a below average rebounder for his position. And he went to work on his body. He went to work on his uh, skill set. And you hit it on the head. They don't have to run anything for him. He just has to play that role. He's in tremendous shape. He's worked on his body, his flexibility, uh, his athleticism, and he's healthy. And he's just been so solid for that team, as is, has as has his brother Robin, as has George Hill. Wesley Matthews is back now, who's another veteran who's is a really reliable guy on the floor. So um, Milwaukee is um, – they're really impressive. They're really tough. And their upcoming schedule at Memphis versus Cleveland versus Dallas versus the Lakers – I mean, they could be heading into that Laker game at home with 19 straight wins. Can you imagine the juice around that one? No, I, I can't. And, you know, Brooke has just been a fascinating player to watch over the years because when he came into the league, he didn't take any threes. He was a low post threat there with the with the with the Nets. Uh, for many years. I mean, he was an all-star. And suddenly now he's expanded his game. And I think last year he, you know, he shot it probably a little better than he shot, but it's, you know, it's still only, it's early in the season. But he shot, you know, well over 35%. I mean, he was like 36% for a guy who doesn't shoot any threes. And he was attempting like six a night, which is fairly impressive for your starting center. And, you know, he's at right around five or so this year. And that is a true problem for opposing teams because now you take a Rudy Gobert and you pull him away from the basket. You take a Steven Adams. You take a Joel Embiid. You take all of these rim protectors. And here's a, a player that's shooting five to six threes a night. And if he makes, you know, 33, 34%, you know, that's what the analytics is all about. So, you can see what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing. This is by design. This is not an accident. He's, the fact that he doesn't really have to make them, but if he takes them, I think is, is the one thing that the Milwaukee Bucks understand. And you can see the way they've designed their team, the way they've designed their offense, that this fits beautifully into what they're trying to do because you have in their best player, a player who's not shooting a high percentage from three at all, and he's still averaging roughly around 32 points a night, which is a very impressive thing to do in today's game. You know, we're in the era of where the big names and the star power is who usually populates all-star rosters. But if we were talking role players on the best of the best teams in basketball, Brooke Lopez is one of those guys you could argue is as valuable as one of uh, is as valuable as an all-star. Yes yeah, or no? Yeah, what do you yeah, think? Yes, he he really is. And the best role player by the by the data and the way the game is being played today over the last 5 years has been Andre Iguodala. Because great of call. what he can do yep. on both ends of the of the floor. You know, he's not a great offensive player, but he's a terrific player with shooting his shots especially mm -hmm. from distance okay and he he understands that last year there was a player who emerged to me as the best role player in the nba with serge abaca when you have a four man or a five man who can shoot threes and when you have a four or five man who can dominate and rim protect and add extra possessions by being a prolific shot blocker because he's really a very athletic big, he emerged last year as the best role player in the game today because of his unique ability and skill set. He can play this game today with the analytics, and he can do it like no other big in the league right now. I mean, he's the best, in my opinion, the best role player there is in the NBA because of his skill set and what he brings to the game. Marcus Smart is going to have something to say about that, but Brooke has been. I I, I love Marcus. I love yeah. Marcus. But you know, but what? in this that's game, me, that's me saying it with a with a yeah, big, I, I, I a love big Marcus. green grin, my friend. Yeah, but you know grin. what? When you're talking, what you know, I mean, you look at another player to me is very unique. Is uh, um, is the Williams kid 
from from the Clippers, oh, Lou, Lou Williams. Williams. Absolutely, Lou Williams is a very unique player as a role player because of his ability to score and how he scores. He scores from distance, and he's very efficient in the time that he plays. I mean, he he'll get you twenty five points in twenty five minutes, and because he is so efficient as a player, Lou Williams is a he is a key contributor because he scores with distance from three and um that's a that's a problem especially in the way they play today you know you score two he scores three and you do the math i mean there he's just a very unique player in the way he plays and uh he's really carved out a niche for himself i think he classifies as role player plus <laughs> he's, like, he's not disney plus he's role player plus yeah, i like yeah, that yeah, i yeah, like that yeah. can and, we get and, that coin and mike plus, you gotta coin that one <laughs> and plus plus in bold plus in bold yeah he's he been, is he's been incredible and um you know him realizing at a certain point in his career he could thrive as a six man and and owning that and really taking the baton from jamal crawford in many ways uh, because there are some similarities to their game and, and just loving it and embracing it and now being part of this incredible Clippers culture uh, and, and, you know, being the guy who's, you know, been there through the entire transition from, you know, um, Lob City falls apart, they clean house, and he stays and he becomes part of this, you know, this new this new team that's going to make a run at the title and uh, really great for Lou. So, you know, role players obviously get glorified, get the shine, have most value when they're in winning situations. For the New York Knicks, they've got some role players on that roster, but they've got uh, not much else. And David Fisdale no longer has a job, as we saw last week. We didn't get to talk on it extensively. Um, so many things wrong with the situation. So many things wrong with how they handled every aspect of that from timing communication firing on a friday this team needs so much work from on court front office to pr department so where do you begin rebuilding the new york knicks knowing that the owner is not going anywhere until some huge occurrence happens so where do you begin well, you know, in today's game, I, I, I often ask myself this question is, how do you build a team? And you've heard me say this, Eric, over and over again. How this do you build a team this today? Is, this is page one of the B.J. Armstrong. Yes. How, how, how do you build a team? I, I'm constantly asking myself, how do you build a team? And, you know, when you, you ask that question, I, I was reminded again of, you know, like, okay, how do we rebuild a team? Well, how do you rebuild a team when you're already – in the process right now you're already in the process and you know when i look at the nixon and i'm going to stick to what i said earlier um at the beginning of the season i like this Knicks team i really do uh, i like their team from the standpoint i think they have toughness they have uh players that play and can defend and and handle their position but the one thing that I see that they've been lacking is consistent guard play because you can't win in this league without a guard who can play in particular uh, when the team switch in the one five screen roll. Yep. If there's one glaring thing with the Knicks roster that stands out to me as I'm looking at their roster, as it's currently said, is that they don't have that player who can go out and take advantage of the one five switch which every team in the league has to be able to do. You have to be able to do that because every team now switches and they have what we call positionless players. You know, but, but people will say, well, what about they have all of these forwards and all these, wait, you can never have enough bigs. You can, especially when you get into the playoffs, especially as you're going through the season, you can't have enough physical bodies to be able to throw at the other teams because you're going to need those players. But what they don't have is a player that can play within the seven seconds of a shot clock and who can break down the other team to create not only offense for himself, but 
for his teammates so that they can get those open threes in key spots, meaning those corner threes, the top of the, you know, the, 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 the top of the key three and being able to finish around the basket. I think once they get that player, whoever that player may be at whatever position, right? You can, whether it's LeBron James, who's a, a point forward or whether it's a Kawhi Leonard or, a, you know, a, you know, a Chris Paul type of player, Russell Westbrook, whomever, you need that player to keep the defense honest, it, especially the way the teams play today. So in looking at their roster, I don't think they're far away. I just think they're a point guard away because you, the NBA game now resembles, in my opinion, more of the collegiate game because you could win with a good college point guard. Every team now needs a primary ball handler who can break down the other team's defense and create offense, not only just for himself when he penetrates, but for the other teams. And if you have that, you have a chance in this league. And, you know, you just need that type of player now because of the way the rules are, the way the game is played, and, and, the, and the pace of what they're playing. You got to have a lead guard who can push the pace, create the pace, and create space for himself and others. Well said, and obviously Dennis Smith Jr. was the guard that they thought was going to be providing that. He came back in the Porzingis trade. He was a player that many thought they should have drafted uh, ahead of Frank Nicolina. Obviously, the player they should have drafted there was Donovan Mitchell, but many teams passed on Donovan. Uh, Smith has struggled. Alfred Payton's been uh, out of the lineup more than he's yeah, been he's in. he's been injured. Yeah, yeah. And Frank hasn't really found a rhythm. And we know Frank, as we were talking about before, uh, has the ability to be a versatile role player, but not a lead guard. So my question for you is, how long do the Knicks give Dennis Smith on the development and progression front before they're going to be definitely looking in another direction and looking to uh, move him out of New York, which we know uh, sometimes happens very, very quickly uh, on 32nd and 7th. Well, you, you know, developing a lot of young players is very difficult, right? You know, they have RJ Barrett, they have Knox, they have Robinson, they have Trier, and then you add into that fold again, you know, Frank is still an unfinished product. Um, and then you add, you know, Dennis Smith to that. So I think at some point here, because of the veterans they have and the players and the personnel that they have, you know, I think you, you you look to add whatever is needed to speed up the process. And that comes by a veteran. So I don't know what they what they'll do. And, you know, I like Dennis. I like his talent. Um, clearly, he is a very athletic point guard. And clearly, you know, you were looking for him or one of them to fill that role. You know, I still like Elford Payton, but he's been injured now with a hamstring. I think he's just getting back. And Frank is Frank. But you know, I think they're going to have to look to do something uh, here because, again, the way the game is played, every team needs that. You have to have that player, and that is the one glaring thing that jumps out at me every time I watch them play. Um, you know, they had a very nice win last night, but they can't expect that type of effort every night uh, from Marcus uh, Morris, who had a massive night. I mean, he was like, I mean, he was terrific last night, but you know, we're not yeah, looking Wednesday, for him to score 35, yeah, when, Wednesday 35 night. 36. Yeah. yeah 35, Wednesday, 36 night, points. Wednesday night versus the Warriors. You know, Marcus had a big one. He may be their best trade chip. Um, he's a guy who we've seen, obviously, his last couple of years with the Celtics, who was a, a key contributor on you know first the conference finals team and then obviously a team last year that underperformed but you know he's proven that uh, he can be valuable on a very good team so um julius randall bobby portis uh bobby portis a guy that you know we've said this before looking to land in the right setting to be able to play play consistently and grow and unfortunately for him that has not yet happened with the knicks but there, there's a logjam up front, and they should see and look into some teams and situations who may have guards who they think they haven't uh, either – they don't think it's right for their team. They haven't developed uh, rapid enough in their system. And, and, you know, one guy that comes to mind who is playing a bit more now, but there's a logjam uh, 
on the roster and that's in Chicago and I'm talking about I'm talking about Chris Dunn and in Chicago they're very high on Kobe White they've, they've got Sadoransky there and uh, it would be interesting to see uh, if uh, Chris Dunn has moved this season I still think he has a lot of ability and you know could be an interesting guy for the Knicks to look at well, in the future. yeah you know you know when I look at you know a player like Chris Dunn and from a basketball perspective I definitely understand what you're saying but you know, this now is a league of transactions, right? So you have to look at the economics of how it would affect your team. You know, you get a Chris Dunn and then suddenly now he comes in, he plays well. How does that fit into your long-term approach uh, with paying a guy like that? Especially when we noted earlier that they have, they have a lot of young players, RJ Beard and these all the players. Now, the one thing, if you look at the Knicks books, you know, their books are in order. They have a team where they don't have any long-term contracts, right? Everyone's on a year, two-year max with team options. So economically, they are well-positioned to play that game in free agency. Their position, as you, as we're talking about and discussing here, to make a trade, right? To do because they have assets that we know are serviceable players in this league that has value. And clearly, uh, because of their record, they're going to – be back and get a lottery pick in the draft. And as we know, hey, you can be 14th or you can be first based on, you know, how the balls fall. So they're well positioned to play in all of the key areas that you need to play in to get this player. And now it's about identifying that player that's going to move your roster and fill the void that you need. And, you know, that is a decision that, you know, that their organization is going to have to make. But they're well positioned to play in all of the key areas that you have to play. And then which one is the best one of all? Hey, maybe that player is already there. Maybe Dennis Smith suddenly, you know, he 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 develops into that player because, you know, you got to get players who are going to develop and take their game to the next level. So there they have all of the elements that are necessary. But, um, you know, now. They're going to have to execute it, and that's going to start with those guys in the locker room. The other team in New York, a team without a shortage of guards, has a very interesting situation. The Brooklyn Nets, 9-4 and four without Kyrie. As mm. Spencer Dinwiddie has been terrific. Uh, this is 9-4 and four after a very tough loss Wednesday uh, to Charlotte. We know the Celtics are better without Kyrie Irving this season. We can revisit <laughs> That we can revisit the blame conversation another time. <laughs> the, the makeup well, of their team right now. Is I'm better. I'm still but not I'm, ready I'm, to say that, Eric. Sure, I'm still not I'm, ready to say that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm setting up the question. What do you do with a phenomenal talent like Kyrie? That clearly there's something missing. You want to call it leadership. You want to call it connectivity with teammates. There's something that's a little off. We don't know exactly what it is. We know it's not the talent. We know it's not the um, ability to step up in big moments. We know it's not an elite level of performance most of the time. But what's that What's that something that's missing with Kyrie, you think? I stumped you. You know, well, you, you, you didn't stump me. You, you, you didn't stump me. Because you know what, what we're all saying, I think we all agree on this. Kyrie is a top 10 talent in the NBA. Whether you like him or you don't like him. That, that, that young man there offensively is sensational. He can, he can do things that. That's one of the best, one of the best handles we've ever seen. One of the best backcourt finishers in traffic we've ever seen. But, Huge in big moments. And, and here, here's one of the one things that I've learned over the years. We place these, whether it's warranted or unwarranted expectations on our stars based on what we see. When we watch Kyrie Irving, he's always one of the top one or two guys on the floor every night, every single night. With that, we place the fans and you and I, the experts, we always say, well, he's the best player. We automatically throw it on to him that he should be the leader of the team. That's what, that's what, we, that's what we're – we've placed an unfair expectation on this young man based on his talent. Now, as an ex-professional basketball player, when I saw Kyrie Irving 
in his first couple of years in the NBA. The one thing that stood out with me, yes, I saw all of his talent. I saw things that he was capable of doing is that they didn't make the playoffs. I'll say that again. His first couple of years in Cleveland, he didn't make the playoffs. I think one of those years, he only won like 19 or 20 games. Now, when I I look at a talent like that, I go, there's no way that you can be that talented and not win 25, 30 games or get your team to the playoffs with that type of talent, right? That's what a great player does. A great player will be able to get you to the, you know, maybe you're the eighth seed or the, the, the seventh seed because you're such a great talent. Your impact on winning is that profound because of the talent that you have. So when I saw that, I said, okay, here's a great talent, but it takes more than talent to win in this league. It takes more than talent. And we constantly forget, and we don't talk about this enough, it took Michael Jordan eight years to win his first championship. Yeah. So I see Kyrie's talent just like everyone else. No one's game is perfect. But I also see what he is lacking because I know the difficulty of doing that. Kyrie, Kyrie has the most difficult challenge in this league is when, but the, the, the most difficult thing to learn how to do as an NBA player is the following, when to pass and when to shoot. And he has an ability that to me is the gift and the curse of every point guard. He can actually score and he can do it very, very well. He can do this very well. He does it so well that if he just came down and shot five or six times a la Allen Iverson, no one's going to say anything. Now, we may all think, like, man, maybe I was open or whatever. He's the point guard. But because of the way he scores and the, and the, and the talent that he has, you got to allow, allow this man to do what he's ready to do. And because he is that good, he's really that good of an offensive player. Allen Iverson was really that good. I mean, he was in, he was incredible, but the balancing act of it may you may get a better result because Isaiah Thomas could score just like both of these guys, but he had a better balancing act than those other two. Great point. Great point. Okay. Kyrie and Kyrie's first playoff was the first year LeBron was back. Exactly, exactly. So, so he went from and, and, rebuild, he went from rebuilding, rebuilding team, number one gun, floor general in the making, yeah. to, hey, here's LeBron, here's Kevin Love. you got to play this role, and you've got to be on a big-time stage right away. Absolutely. But, 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 but listen to this, Eric. But when he did get to the big stage. He delivered. He delivered. He delivered, delivered in the biggest moment on the biggest stage in the biggest game for the Cavaliers. He delivered. So all of this talk about what he can and can't, no, he delivered. That's that's written in stone. We also know what he may not be so good at, and which I'm okay too. But here's what I will say about Kyrie Irving. Whatever team Kyrie Irving is on, I'm going to go back to what I was – you know, I learned as an ex-player, and I can't ever forget that. Because once you're in that locker room, you learn things and you see things that maybe no one else tells you. Every team that Kyrie Irving plays on, he will abide by this rule because of his talent. He will win only when he says he's ready to win because of his talent. When Kyrie makes that commitment to winning, not to getting numbers not to listening to all of the things outside, he will win. So what that looks like, Eric, is you will only win when your players say it's okay to win. That is Kyrie's dilemma as a player because his talent is far superior than most in this league. And when he's ready to make that commitment to winning, I'm not, he can go get 30 every night. I mean, he, things he did before this injury. Let's just look at him. Scoring was off the charts. Now. Team winning at a better rate without him. That's what's crazy. It, hey, hey, I watched a man, Eric, score 37 points a night without a, without shooting a three ball. 
Yeah. <laughs> but when he was ready to win and when he was committed to winning, when he made his mind up to say, you know what? It is more, it is better for me to only get 32 points a night and win a championship than to get 37 points a night and not win a championship. Is only when that decision was made by that talented player because Michael Jordan was that good. I'm not saying Kyrie is that good, but Kyrie is better than most. And that is his dilemma. That's the dilemma when coaching Kyrie Irving. That's the dilemma with playing with Kyrie. You gotta you, you gotta let this young man figure this out. And he deserves this. And it's hard to go through because we're saying, oh wow, look, look what he could be, what he should be. But he's learning as well, and we can't forget that. We can't forget the human part of this equation and he's going through his process for sure I, I think what they have to figure out is how does Dinwiddie and Irving share the floor together more minutes for the Nets and if they can figure that out that's going to be a very dangerous team uh, the second half of this season in the Eastern Conference if Levert can come back and, and be the player that he was last year when he returned from his injury as well. And I want to give a shout out to Dinwiddie. I mean, he's been dynamite. He's been, since, he's been he he's been dynamite, sensational. But he is one of those players that you can't switch on. He's figured out how to play with a short shot clock, and he is what this NBA is all about now: a, a guard like that who can score, create offense for himself and others, and uh, it really makes an impact in the way the game is played. All right, to close it today, we've got uh, we've got a great little tidbit here paying respects to Mr. Vince Carter, who played his 1500th, 1500th, wow. 1500th game this past week. At the end of this season, he'll be third behind mm. Robert Parrish, shout out to the Chief, and Kareem in all-time games played. That's just crazy. Fun fact, as a rookie, Vince played with Charles Oakley. <laughs> That's his rookie year. In Oakley's rookie year with the Bulls, he played with George Gervin, who many nice. ended his career with the Bulls. So Vince Carter is only two degrees of separation removed from the ABA. How incredible. <laughs> That's you know what? One. That's a great I'm one. Gonna, I, that, that is a great that is one. Awesome. And when they say Vince Sanity, because that is, that's, that's crazy. And you know what, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing him for many years and he's one of the real good guys in this league. And uh, my hat off, tip my hat to him. He's what, it's just a tribute to what he says about how he takes care of his body to be able to play at this age. Yeah. And every now and then, and I always, I always remark when I see him dunk, it's not how high he gets, it's the landing that I'm always afraid of. Because <laughs> yeah. when you, you know, as you get older, you know, the landing is what hurts the most. So, but my hat goes off to him and uh, that's an incredible accomplishment. And uh, who knows, he may play even next year. One final thing for me on Vince, he could have been ring chasing all these years. Yes. And he has, you know, obviously, I don't know him. You do. I don't know how he's been looking at the situations that he's been choosing the last several years. But it seems to me that being in a comfortable situation where he can be a veteran mentor on these teams, whether it was, you know, Memphis, now in Atlanta. Uh, obviously, this started uh, a ways back when he was in Dallas. Um, it's just, it, it really speaks to who he is. And, um, it, it's, it's really a, been a beautiful arc, uh, with him evolving into a, a great player who was much more than just highlight dunks, uh, to a guy that received criticism, obviously for how things ended in Toronto. They expected more in New Jersey. I think many did, uh, but he just kept going. And uh, not only will he go down as a, as a great all-time player, but he's going to go down as just a, a great all-time guy that played in this league and, and gave a lot to the league and, and helping those that came after him. So hats off to Vince for sure. 
Great episode, my man. Covered a lot. Got the weave going. Got the pick and pop game going. Feeling great heading into the weekend. BJ, uh, can't wait for our next one. Hope you have a great weekend. Hopefully we see each other out in L.A. And uh, I hope everyone out there has a great basketball watching weekend ahead. A lot of good stuff. And, of course, checking out our other shows. The Mike Wise Show dropping on Mondays. The relaunch of Catch and Shoot 2.0 coming at Mm. you next week with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. Some great stuff with them. Bucket Sports and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt. And, of course, the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself. Special thanks, as always, producer Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Have a great weekend, everybody. And especially you, BJ. Stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.